Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real life behind the scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Today, I am joined again by two generous guests, T.C. Randall and Jennifer Pound. T.C. Randall was an ER nurse of 14 years and is the author of the book, The View from the Wrong Side of the Day, all about his experiences as a nurse and facing an occupational stress injury resulting in years off the job to work at recovering. My other guest, Jennifer Pound, is a recently retired RCMP staff sergeant who was the face of the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team in Vancouver for a number of years, and she's the creator of the blog FuelForFirstResponders.com. Both TC and Jen have been on Behind the Line before, and were a part of some of our most listened-to episodes. They each have an inside perspective of life on the front lines, And they both have insight and wisdom to share around what it looks like to connect with therapy while working to recover from occupational stress injuries. They have both had a mixture of experiences, and as a result, they have both become advocates for systemic change and supporting frontline staff in accessing support more effectively and efficiently. The three of us sat down and enjoyed a conversation about their experiences of when therapy hasn't been a fit, like that pair of jeans you try on that just does not hug in the right places, as well as their experiences of finding their Goldilocks moment where it was just right. I've broken the conversation into two parts. If you missed last week's episode, jump back and check it out. This week, you'll get to hear the rest of our conversation on when therapy is working and how to help yourself find that fit. Before we dive into the interview, I want to give one last reminder that registration for the Self-Care Dare five-day challenge for first responders and frontline workers is open. This is the last time we'll be running the Dare this year, and if you've been unsure how to invest in your wellness, I hope you'll take the leap and join us. It's a ton of fun, and I will circle back at the end of the episode with a few more details, or you can check out the show notes to learn more and register. All right, we're going to jump back into this conversation. I hope you enjoy. So, okay, we're going to shift gears a bit because I'm aware that we are on a time limit as well. So um, I would love to hear a little bit more about your guys's positive experiences with therapy and what that's <laughs> looked like. I would like to have hope and redemption for my profession, really. That's <laughs> what I'm looking for. <laughs> Um, I think, like for me, so it was a it was a long, long process. It took me, um, and it actually took switching out of 
uh, WorkSafe, a nod to long-term disability. And they were a little more, they had more of a broad focus. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were able to give me options in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, with WorkSafe, it's kind of a one-size-fits-all and... (laughs) kind of approach whereas with long-term disability they were like okay well we have this therapist or that specializes in this or this therapist that specializes in that um so they got me into cognitive behavioral therapy which is more talking um much more focused on um behavior patterns and the way Mm -hmm. like managing my feelings Um, So that was a big step for me. I think another thing, too, and this is going to be maybe hard for some of the listeners to hear, um, but what really worked for me was a shift in my focus Mm -hmm. Um, because of, you know, again, my personality type when all Mm -hmm. this started, um, I was focused on the fix, right? Mm -hmm. Fix I want I want to be back to where I was before all this happened. I want yes. that person back. <laughs> Undo the broken. Yes. And better. Yes. Um, and there was a point after two years where it was kind of like, well, maybe that's not a realistic goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like any sort of chronic condition, there comes a point where you have to say, okay, maybe we're not going to fix this. So how do we manage it? And yeah. that really changed my focus in therapy because we started talking about, okay, you know, what do I do when I start to feel anxious in a situation? How do I um, mitigate that so yeah. I'm not like riding a tidal wave? It's, you know, what strategies can I employ when I'm feeling depressed? Or, yeah. right? So we started talking about behaviors and how to alter them to to deal with um, a situation that isn't going away (laughs) or to deal with symptoms that are, you know, to some extent probably at this point always going to be there. I think that's a really important thing to sort of, um, and it takes a lot of self-honesty because as I said, when when we first started this, I didn't want to hear it. (laughs) Yeah, I was not open to this feedback. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think when we're on the front end of it, we want to believe that there is a going back, a way to be in my life before this existed. And it is hard when we hit a point that we kind of go, right, this isn't, I, I am a changed human. And while aspects of this might get more managed at different times, it will be a piece of me that carries along with. And as a nurse, I think probably you have some amount of exposure to that, like people who get some of those like long-term chronic illness kinds of diagnoses that are resistant to accepting that this is a thing I'm gonna have to live with. And yet as they accept it, they can adapt into living with it far more effectively than if they're constantly resisting this idea that this is a part of my life now. Yeah, most definitely there's a, you have to learn to modify. <laughs> yeah, totally. Now, Jen, how about for you? Like, what does it look like to shift from having some not so great experiences within therapy to something that was more positive? 
Um, it was shocking. <laughs> it was actually quite surprising that I was uh, that I was actually feeling better after some of the visits. It was very promising. Um, and, and you know, to the point that we were talking about um, just before about the the doctors or the the psychologists making those calls on their own. To to her credit, the the woman that I was seeing. Um, after the first psychologist that I saw, she yeah. sort of said, you know, I, I don't really have the ability to give you what you need um, mm. and referred me on to somebody else. So that's okay. that's when I was referred on to the um, operational stress injury clinic. Okay. Yes. So, you know, to her credit, she kind of she kind of owned that. And, and I was super thankful that she did that. Um, yeah. And so another another positive for me was just realizing that group therapy was helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, if you would have asked me three years ago if I would have sat down in front of a group and had a conversation about my injury, there was absolutely mm-hmm. not a chance that I was going to do that. Um, right. But I did. I found it super helpful. And, and everybody in the room has kind of that same common ground of what are we in for kind of thing. So there's the therapy that you get out of the group therapy and then there's the therapy you actually get out of the group that you're attending there with yeah. and I think uh, it serves a lot of purposes and I would recommend it and you know I'd recommend it at the best time for that individual if they're not yeah. ready for it then they're not going to get much out of it but that was certainly an eye-opener for me uh, mm. just having a closer relationship and and getting to a point where I felt like my psychologist understood me um, and could really explain to me the kind of day I was having and why things were happening. And it just put a lot of stuff into perspective and made me go a little bit easier on myself. Um, yeah. You know, I think a lot of what happens with, with individuals with PTSIs are there is a lot of negative self-talk that comes with mm-hmm. it. So trying to work through that with the uh, help of um, a psychologist was very, very helpful for me. And you learn to just not beat up on yourself all the time so it happens but you just don't do it all the time (laughs) right moderate the frequency yeah yeah totally yeah I love I love that kind of perspective and I I mean I think there are a few gems in there like I think that the the recognition of being open to things that you may not think are gonna be a great fit but being willing to try which is hard when you're dealing, particularly with the PTSI, I think also when you're highly anxious or depressed or, you know, other mental health concerns that can come as a result of the work. It's not always post-traumatic stress, but um, we can wrestle with our sense of safety. We can wrestle with our sense of trust. We can wrestle with our sense of energy, like our willingness to try a new thing feels like it just adds one more thing that is too much and tips the scale when my brain isn't in a great place. Yes. And so the willingness to even try a group and then discover that actually that did really serve a need for me is really fantastic. And I I love that as even just a a learning piece for those listening to maybe take as uh, being open and willing to try, even if it doesn't seem on the front end, like it's going to be the thing that it can have value. I often have clients, I get a lot of clients who are coming because they're, uh, we call them mandated clients. So they're coming through a work safe or through something where they're kind of required to be there. And it's always funny to me because I get a lot of these clients who are very like gruff and resistant. And I've legitimately gotten things like, especially when I was younger, less now, 
uh, a lot of the like, so little girl, what do you have to offer me kind of thing. And I came up with this really quippy thing early in my career where I, I would say, give me three sessions. If you don't see a difference after three sessions, fail, fine, but give me three sessions, right? So just like that willingness to try for a beat and not judge just on the face of that initial encounter, um, whether it's with group therapy or individual therapy or a given therapist or whatever, that we give a space for it to have a chance to maybe be helpful. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also this piece, and I think you've both kind of identified it, that within this profession of psychology, whether it's psychologists, therapists, psychiatrists, even, um, there's a broad spectrum of us. And it, to some extent, is like a medical doctor, right? Like you see your GP, and your GP is a bit of a jack of all trades and master of none. Like they see a huge range of medical conditions. They're not an expert on any given one of them necessarily. They're a bit of a hub that then refers you to that specialist who does dermatology or that person who specializes in Alzheimer's or that person who deals with your seizure disorder or that person who whatever. And so we, in similar fashion within psychology, there's those who are awesome at dealing with depression. There's those that are specialized in dealing with eating disorders. There's those who love dealing with kids. There's those who whatever. There are some who are kind of like the GP, who are a bit of a jack of all trades, master of none, kind of a general practitioner who do little bits of lots of things. Um, And I think one of the challenges for first responders and frontline workers is they often end up in some of those general practitioner spaces or being like the fill to someone's schedule who actually specializes in something different, but I needed to fill a spot and you're here, so why not? I think I can work with you. Um, I probably won't do you harm. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best for you. And so one of the things um, that we talked about in in the last episode prior to this one is um, your right to interview a therapist, like your right to ask questions and learn about them and know what they're great at before you feel like you have to walk in the door and that you have the right to assess their skill and judge whether they feel like a fit before you actually arrive and see them face to face. Yeah. And it's okay to seek out someone who does explicitly work with your kind of demographic. Yeah. 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 I think, I think part of the challenge too with that is that you feel like even if you can get into somebody and have those appointments, Mm -hmm. you've hit the jackpot. So you don't want to give somebody up for fear that you're not going to have anybody at all. Totally. Um, but yeah, I think if, if you're patient and, and you can, you know, push through, there are good people out there with, with some really good skills to help you get through it. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious. So I asked you guys each the, you know, what are the key learnings as it related to your negative experiences, as it related to your positive experiences, what are some of the key learnings that you would hope others to know about or, um, would maybe direct others to consider as they seek out something and try to have a positive experience with therapy? Um, I think just, I think we've all said to keep going, right? And be a consumer. Um, And just knowing that you can be a consumer is something that we don't tell people, right? Like, oh my God, you mean I can just switch? (laughs) Right? Like nobody, nobody says that. 
It's just like, here's your therapist. Right. And you're stuck here forever. Yeah. Um, especially when you're dealing with WorkSafe, because it's like, you know, here's your list of possibles and there's one name yeah. on it. Right. Um, so being able to just know that you have the ability to say, I don't think this is working for me and I'd like to see somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to try some other types of therapy. Um, so I think it's there's a self-advocacy piece. There's also the having that information available piece where it's like, you know, if somebody could have told me up front and said, um, you you have these rights that you can exercise, <laughs> yeah. and here's and here's sort of how you go about it. Yeah, totally. I th- I think for for me a big part of what I pass on is just to get the family on board. You know, have have the family go through some therapy and some education pieces as well. Um, I know it's a it causes such a big riff when you're trying to go through this injury and you're trying not to internalize everything and you feel so guilty for, for what it does to you. Um, and then you start to learn about it and you start to ease off a little bit on yourself. But I think what needs to happen is that your family also needs to be given that education piece so they don't judge you for the surface behavior as well. Yeah. Um, just, just so they understand that sometimes things are just, you know, it's, it's a lack of, um, it's a lack of control. Like sometimes it's just not in our ability to just be calm and be a nice person, right? Like your, your patience is done sometimes you, you've had a long day and if your family knows what that's all about, they can give you a little more slack. So I think as a family, as a group. Um, spouses, kids, everybody who can get educated on the piece uh, just serves you better in the end. Hmm. Good one. I like that one. And I think too that, um, and it goes along with what we were saying about self-talk as well, is that um, a lot of times when you have any, not just um, post-traumatic stress, but any sort of mental health issue, all your energy sort of goes into that, yeah. right? And and sometimes that's, you know, my energy for the day is taken up just trying not to lose it. Yeah. Um, and so when we're talking about ourselves and families and things like that, other things sort of get left by the wayside, right? Like um, sometimes I get up and I get things done and I go places and I do things. And other days it's like I got up and I put pants on today. Yes, and that's, that's my accomplishment for the day. Totally. Yeah. And having the family sort of aware of that too is so that, you know, oh, why weren't the dishes done? Why, you know, where's, where's my dinner? <laughs> kind of thing yeah. well i just don't i just don't have the reserves to do that yes today. totally right? and also being able to one of the hardest battles i had when this first started was being able to say that to myself yes. right? where it's like it's okay that i didn't get everything on my to-do list done today mm-hmm. because um i put pants on <laughs> yeah. totally and that was the thing yeah For sure. Yeah, I know one of the things that I find really meaningful is um, both with clients directly, I've done this with their families as well on occasion, 
is having conversations about how your brain works when you are struggling with something like post-traumatic stress. It is a little bit different, but has some parallels when it's depression or anxiety or other kinds of concerns. Um, but that like physiologically, our brains are operating very, very differently. Like structurally, they are operating differently. And having those conversations where it's less about the like, well, you didn't want to enough or you didn't try hard enough or whatever. Um, it kind of releases us from that because it's it's not me, it's my brain and my brain is, is not something I have direct control over in this moment, um, which helps us to feel like it's less uh, out of like sheer will and wanting that we do better. Um, and I think that just gives like different permission to be human and to move through this process that is a process it gives our family some of the same, the ability to kind of go like, right, it's not, it's not mom, it's not dad, it's, it's mom's brain. And it's, it's not firing the way it needs to fire today. And so I can try to buffer to that a little bit differently than just feeling upset about it. And it's also, it's like any other body part, right? Like if I break my leg, nobody's going to be like, oh, you, you're lazy. You didn't go for your run today. Okay. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if, if, and if you've got an injury to your brain, then there's going to be effects from that, physical effects. Totally. Well, and it's and, a little bit like, I would. it's funny because I love the broken leg comparison, but I actually <laughs> like comparing it better to breaking a toe yeah. um, or a rib because toes and ribs are like just a total bitch to heal because you utilize them all the time and there's not really a, a great way of like setting and ensuring stability to those parts they're always being used and so they never heal totally right or perfectly and to some extent that's what we're facing when we're dealing with something like this with our brain is that it's not something we just get to like put up and rest for a day <laughs> or a week or a month or a whatever and then it will be all better and healed it is something we're constantly having to use while it is injured and then frustrated at the fact that it's not healing the way we want it to heal. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I really value both of your um, input today. It, it was a really great conversation, I think, and I hope that this is a benefit to those that are listening. I'm curious if there's like any last thoughts, parting words before we wrap up. Um, I think just that I think just to say, and we said this throughout, is that we need just having the conversation, mm-hmm. right? And um, because the the biggest barriers to um, to these professions and to people with post traumatic stress is the way that we set it up, and yeah. we need to we need to talk about it, and we need to start setting it up differently, both as professions and from a systems point. Right. There needs to be talk amongst ourselves about what this looks like and that it's okay to, um, to be injured. Yeah. Um, and then from a, so from a structural point of view, there needs to be a much more clear definition of what we're going through and how to go about getting better because yeah. that doesn't exist. It's just like, oh, something's wrong with you here, you know, try and try and work your way through the system on your own and everything will be fine. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And how about for you, Jen? Any parting thoughts? 
Um, you know, if you can, just reach out to somebody who has gone through it. I think if you're speaking with people um, who are going through it or who have gone through it and are managing it, I think you can learn a lot. And it, it comes from a really real perspective. Um, and it will save some time into learning some of the things that you're going to learn. And I, I think on the topic of learning, I didn't realize how important uh, sleep was in the recovery system. Mm, um, yeah. for, for a lot of us, sleep is non-existent. And you don't really realize how big of a demon that is when it comes to a, a PTSI. So yeah. I think understanding the sleep and how important it is and doing everything you can to get uh, a good chunk of sleep at a time is going to really yeah. help you in the end. I love that you brought that one up. It's actually funny because I think uh, I want to say in December, we're going to do a series focused on kind of those basics, right? Like yeah. sleep, nutrition, kind of like basic need meeting that we all know we need, we should do better at and that they do have an impact for our wellness. But we're going to talk about why they have such a significant impact for our wellness and our hope is to have a couple of um, experts come and chat about things like how to navigate sleep when you're doing shift work and things like that. Um, so I love that you brought that piece up because you're right. It's like basic and yet we eliminate, like we just don't do it well. And especially if you've done shift work for a long time, it's often to the point that it's physiologically, it feels outside of your control to even fix it. Yeah. Because it's gotten, it's been so dysregulated for so long that it feels yeah. very outside of our own control. There's so many subtopics, you know, that you could actually do a show on. And it's just, it's <laughs> endless. Like it really is endless. I and I know. just, I think if you, you know, on, on the final point for me, it would be watch your, watch when you withdraw, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's a difference between taking time for yourself and self-care and withdrawing and isolating. Yeah, and totally. I think if you're starting to isolate and withdrawing and you just always need time to be alone and check out, you really, really need to talk to somebody because that's yes. where the beginning of it all can surface. And totally. just catch it early, catch it early and you stand a great chance of, of not having to manage it as deeply as some might have to manage it. Totally, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, both of you. You're fantastic. And I love that you're both so willing to jump on today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for the invite. Always great. One last great big thank you to TC Randall and Jennifer Pound for joining me and sharing their insight and wisdom. I will link to TC's book in the show notes, as well as to Jen's fantastic blog. Please go check both of those out. Don't forget to register for the Self-Care Dare five-day challenge for first responders and frontline workers. Registration is currently open until November 1st at 11.59 p.m. The Dare kicks off first thing on November 2nd. Registration is only $10 and includes five days of video lessons around five key domains for self-care, bonus resources and worksheets to develop a bomb-proof and sustainable self-care plan, access to our private Facebook group to connect, problem-solve, and hone our skills, and fun prizes along the way to keep you pushing forward. If you're needing to up your self-care game, join us and take the dare. As always, please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. If you have feedback you would like me to share with either of my guests today, connect with me and know that I'll pass it along. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss. 
or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. Please keep sharing this resource with those you know, and until next time, stay safe.